and welcome to episode 37 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Anthony Samroff, and my handsome co-host... Ming the Merciless. Not as handsome as me. Yeah. Uh, 28th of <laughs> February 2017. <laughs> so, uh, we've got a special interview for you today with um, the secret ruler of the galaxy. Um, Not a secret anymore. Have you... Uh, so... How are your plans going to... to well, they're going very badly. Thing. Unfortunately, I've joined uh, a party that's dedicated to uh, giving people more freedom, which is not exactly <laughs> in keeping with the rule in the universe. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to rule the universe by letting people run their own lives. <laughs> not only have you joined the party, but I believe at, uh, at the last AGM elected the I, grand ruler, I, the yeah, ruler the grand, of, the, yeah. of the party. Yeah. The Grand Squirrel, or whatever. I, I thought this was just part of your infiltration game. Well, it's a pretty bad infiltration game, you know. Um, have you managed to catch your arch nemesis, Flash Gordon? He hasn't turned up to any of uh, any of my things, but uh, well, I did do a, a talk one time, and uh, Vulcan and all these Hawkmen right. turned up, uh, and that was pretty embarrassing. I mean, who wears a Viking helmet? To uh, a Masonic do, you know. Um, <laughs> Clearly him, you know, and he heckled me, you know. And it's it's it's, it's a bit tiresome, you know. Are you not afraid that um, he's going to swing in through the windows at any moment and foil your plans? I don't think uh, Vulcan of the Hawkmen. I don't think he does much in the way of swinging. Flash Gordon. Oh, Flash Gordon. Right, okay, well, do not did, even mention that name he, in these halls. He does. He does quite a bit of swinging, from right. what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Dale Arden. Uh, those tight um, outfits I think that he they, wears. I think they go to the same club that Tommy Sheridan used to go to. Right. <laughs> okay. That's, that's particularly why he went there, I think, because Dale Arden and Flash Gordon used to go. Someone else who uh, might like swinging and has been in the news is this guy. It's that man the again. The Pied Piper of Hate. Who is apparently going down Woo-hoo, the flames. ha 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 ha. I don't Woo-hoo, know ha, ha. how exactly this journalist... What she... <laughs> Get her right. It's Camilla yeah. Long, basically, of yeah. the Sunday Times, has written this expose on, of on, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Who is um, apparently going down in flames. Now, I don't know how getting out hundreds of thousands of hits on a YouTube video qualifies as going down on flames. But, going down um, on flames. In flames. <laughs> mm. Not, who's, not recommended. Who's, who's flames? His boyfriend. <laughs> we have heard that he like. I was gonna say. See, that's the thing. That's this is why Milo uh, is is speaks because I was about to say his black boyfriend there, but I didn't say it because I thought because of political correctness I might get lampooned for that by people who don't know <laughs> that in interviews... Is that uh, some sort of gay terminology as well? Getting my, lampooned. My, my, Last week I got teabagged. You're going to get lampooned. I'm going week. to get lampooned because I used the word black. Now, but but the thing is, I just want to talk about that a little bit because that would be a reference <laughs> What else would you call him? That would be a reference to the fact that Milo, you know, makes jokes about having black boyfriends. and oh, that, so that you means don't know that he's got a black boyfriend. But, he, but he, he says that he does. He says that okay. he's had many of them. And that sense of dread, which I felt about simply uttering those words on a mm-hmm. public podcast, speak to exactly why Milo Yiannopoulos is famous. Wouldn't you mm-hmm. agree? Do you have something to say about that? 
Yeah, well, according to uh, Camilla Long, he's the lewd, brash provocateur. Okay, he's certainly a provocateur. Is he lewd? Possibly. Brash? Definitely. Um, I, I mean, we've, we've talked about Milo before yes. on this show. Um, I think he's probably a bit of a narcissist, probably a bit of self-publicist, and probably a bit of a cock. Um, but there's a need for him. Well, he, the thing is, he's acting up and he's enjoying yeah. the notoriety. So when <clears throat> she says, half an hour trying to shock them with lewd jokes and outrageous opinions, I thought I was being going to be escorted from the building, he said. But um, his publisher has offered him a barrel full of money instead. And again, you see the, you see the snidiness of the... Co- it's like, oh, he's so superficial because he's, he's talking about the... the barrel full of money and also it's playing into hatred of the rich the thing is he is a provocateur he he likes the notoriety and the left by doing uh big protests are just basically playing into his hands because his main thing is look they're trying to shut me up and uh, they're trying to shut down opinions they're trying to shut down debate and he has actually had to cancel a seminar because mm-hmm. because where, cause, because protests. because of these libtards. Because of pro- these, but which, by the way, is a is a word that is in the the lexicon the of lexicon, hate. The lexicon of hate. Well, it's actually in in the article, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was quote libtards. So she's quoting. I think he calls uh, liberals. And we, when we say liberals, it's worth mentioning that we talk liberal in a modern context and not classic liberal, which uh, which would be a libertarian these days but yeah so she says that he's a terrifying columnist are you terrified by milo i'm not terrified by him he's a terrifying columnist for the conservative news site breitbart okay and he calls trump daddy of course who doesn't yeah So. <laughs> well, she, but she, so. does, she does mention that he's a political genius and internet magician. But here's the thing. No, right? no, no, no. I don't know if she says that he's a political genius. I think... Right? No, far from... Far being, from me, yeah. Far from being a political genius, genius and an internet yeah. magician. Milo, has, he's been 32. Unmasked as a classical prat and a liability, but his shonky behaviour comes as no surprise to me, not after my three terrible days in California. I got in contact with Milo in January when his scything his way up and down the west coast of America on his dangerous faggot tour, railing libtard students and promoting his book. You see, the thing is, the, the writing, it comes across as very conservative, and I'm sure this um, this correspondent sees herself as very um, left wing, or on the left. Well, she's, I think she sees but herself as quite right on, but I don't know about left wing. I think she th- sees herself as a, a she's left certainly, she's certainly She's certainly feminist, I think. The, the, um, and the thing is, but but the, the feeling of it's very conservative. It's like, oh, he calls himself a dangerous faggot. It's got that, it's got that shock, which is like, Oh, the children! Think of the children, you know. Yeah. Uh, feeling, feeling about well, it, which is. Can, can I just say something though? Right. First of all, the the, the name of this uh, article is called "The Pied Piper of Hate Goes Down." Things right. Okay. First of all, how is he a pied piper of hate? I mean, does he actually peddle hate? 
Does he actually say that we should hate blacks, hate transgender people, hate, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess he can't hate homosexuals, he's, he's, he's gay himself. But and then, he's a Catholic with a Jewish parent. Yeah, you know, so he's, he's kind of pretty, he's not exactly, uh, you know, Ku Klux Klan material, right. you know, himself. So I don't see, I think it's unfair to say that he's a, a peddler of hate, but he does like getting in people's faces and it doesn't get take much to get in the face of liberals these days. But what I will say, I think, having read the article, what comes across to me towards the, the certainly towards the end of it, is what she's most pissed off about him is he ignored her. Alright. Right. She got, he got, she went over there to do an interview with him and he kind of messed her about and didn't really turn up to his, his interviews. Which, fine, that's, that's pretty rude and that's pretty obnoxious. Uh, you shouldn't do that. But that's kind of what, I, what, what really is, seems to be railing her. That's what I get from yeah. the, from the article. And Camilla Long, this is a woman who, no matter who she interviews, right, ma- male wise, as far as I can remember, you know, and I've been, following, not really following her stuff, but I've been aware of it for quite some time. I've been a Sunday Times reader for years. Um, she practically accuses every man of staring at her tits or fancying her. Uh, and I, I, I quite believe that she could actually interview the Dalai Lama or something like that, and she would say within the first five minutes of meeting her that he, I don't know, tried to slipper one or something um that seems to be our theme and with this guy he's clearly he's he's clearly gay uh, and 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 doesn't want to get into her pants and i suppose that infuriates her a little bit um, well now we're psychologizing the yeah. well, why not well the, she's psychologizing know, him in the is. article so let's yeah. talk about the controversy right milo basically made some joke which was playing down the abuse that he received as a by a at the hands of a mysterious priest named Father Michael, you know, when he was a boarding school boy, he he plays down or jokes about his own experiences of of um, being interfered with by this person, uh, in a sort of gallows humor. He says British sarcasm, um, and that has stirred up controversy. So okay. do you, do you want to? Speak about comment on it first. And the gallons. Well, look, I've got to be honest. I don't know exactly what he said. From what I hear, what he said was something in the context of young guys uh, of an unspecified age. So, did he say young boys or young guys can uh, be? Sexually provocative. Okay. Is that, is that the, the gist of it? Well, he said that they might and sometimes contribute in some way to contribute the... in some way or court and um... well, is he talking about his own personal experience? If he is, and now again, we don't know if this is what he said. We're just we're just you know we're speculating here. But let's suppose he said something like that. You know, where uh, that somehow young guys can be uh, capable. Of being extremely sexual and want to be involved sexually with an older guy. If he said that, is he talking about his own experience? And if he is, and that's genuinely how he felt at the time, then, you know, should he be allowed to say that? Or is that a case of you just can't say that because that's a paedophile charter. That's what you're doing is you're giving carte blanche to sexual abusers all over the world. To uh, to you know to I don't know bum but young boys with you, abandon. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not 
it's not an issue of free speech, but it is an issue of see if someone seriously says that. You have to doubt the the ver- you ha- you you have to doubt the veracity of what they're saying to a degree, or at least bring skepticism to it, because. You need to look at the environment in which these things are happening. First, you know, is this a, you know, an all boys boarding school where they're, you know, um, sort of locked in, there is hazing, there is all sorts of things. And a lot of the time, you know, obviously the extreme version being Stockholm syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, people who are in a position and a powerless position can sometimes rationalize and say, well, you know, I had it coming. The very, um, common one is, oh, you know, well, well, you know, I was spanked and I deserved it. I was a little shit. Well, you know, maybe you were a little shit for the same reasons as your parents spanked you so much, which is, you know, they weren't giving you the quality of attention. Yeah, but hang on a second, though. You're, you're right. conflating. I'm not conflating. You're, you're, you're kind of conflating sexual as... abuse with you know, physical abuse or, or physical chastisement. Isn't, isn't sexual abuse a type of physical abuse? Uh, I guess it's a, a type of physical abuse, but it's it's the motivations are different. And the... I'm just going up and down the... Uh, okay, that's an important point. Obviously, if, you know, the motivation um, of some... Well, I you know, people say that the motivation for spanking their kids is to... To correct them them or to discipline them. I think more often than not, it's because the parents out of control and they don't, you know, they don't know what else to do. So that, you know, they take the ready tool to hand, which is to spank them. But I'm just, I'm not, I'm not using, I'm just saying there's a parallel between that's just a ready example of like, oh yeah, I was a, I was a little shit and I deserved it uh, as a different, as another way of saying, as another example of someone saying, well, you know, uh, oh, I actually wanted them. I actually wanted that older man. I, oh, I actually fancied the priest. You know, it could be a coping mechanism rather than just the the plain plain old yeah. truth. Well, okay. I mean, the only the only other instance I'd know of of, of this sort of thing was uh, I can remember Stephen Fry being interviewed by Pamela Stevenson, Billy right. Connolly's wife, uh, about his life. You know, she's she's a psychiatrist, so there's a this there's a psychiatric element to that particular program that they were doing. And he had mentioned that quite young, I think he was talking about thirteen or fourteen, uh, that he'd had a sexual experience with an older man and he he said uh that he would it was consensual. Pamela Stevenson insisted, "No, you're, uh, you're, you're in denial. This was right. abuse." And like Stephen Fry, kind of stuck to his guns and was adamant and said, "No, it was not sexual abuse. I knew what I was doing, right. and 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 I wanted to do it." So, I mean, I don't know. Like, where do you the the, the problem with arbitrary ages as well? Mm-hmm. Arbitrary age limits to anything is like they are just arbitrary, you know. I'm sure there are guys out there at 20 and 21 who may not be mentally and emotionally right. uh, ready for sexual experiences. Right. So um, I guess, look, we none, none of the two are absolutely sure what he said. But whatever it is, people have went off the deep end this time. And I think what he's done is he's kind of backtracked and, and 
tried to apologise. Whereas, be, instead of just being Milo, no, exactly. Instead of being Milo and owning it and being more confident about it, I think they've people have saw a, a kind of chink in the armour yeah. here, and it's now became a feeding frenzy. Right, and it's because like, well, he's actually yeah. taking responsibility for it instead yeah. of going, "Ah, oh, fuck off, you, you pricks." I was just having a joke, you yeah. know. But, you know, that's the thing. Is there a point where, you know, it's not something to joke about? Especially, like, if you're on stage <clears> as a stand-up comedian, it's a, it's unambiguous that you're joking. Whereas if it's some kind of offhand comment in interviews, then it's... You know, the t- term in psychology is minimization. Right. Well, I had a bad experience, but it wasn't that bad. And one way of minimizing is to joke about it. But isn't that... Are you saying that 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 way of that coping mechanism is invalid? Well, that's the que- Well, that's a really good question. You know, is there a time to minimise things? Because, well, obviously, it's valid in the sense that the psycho for a psychological it's there for a psychological reason. It's yeah. there for a defence. If those feelings would completely overwhelm you, then you want to minimise that. Mm-hmm. But then the question is, going forward in the long term. Do you want to continue minimizing that and have bits of you cut off, you know, because you've not finished processing your negative experiences? Or do you want to accept how negative they were, go through the difficult emotions and come at, come through through that freer and healthier, which we're you know, we're told is the the purpose of psychotherapy yeah well i don't know i mean i I know that if it was indeed i mean he's talking about gallows humor i mean i i guess i mean as an ex-soldier you know soldiers are notorious for it it's it's a it's a notorious army uh, coping mechanism is to joke about things and minimize it even the most horrific things uh you know we're we're, we're kind of joked about Uh, in terms of is there a limit i guess um that limit only comes about by trial and error. Right. And if somebody goes overboard and hurts somebody, I mean, hurts, hurts somebody's feelings, should you be able to hurt? Should you be able to hurt? Well, here you go. Here's a crux of the matter here. Milo gets a lot of flack because he says things that are undoubtedly hurtful to some people right. and a lot of people. Yeah. So but does but- does the right to free speech include the right to offend? Well, I mean kind of offending offending is your business isn't it like some people might be offended by something and some people might not so it really just depends what you're bringing to the table i mean you know this is the thing people uh as stephen fry said you know so what if you're offended yeah (laughs) yeah um the thing is you know people with religious beliefs will be offended when you say the religious beliefs are wrong, if Mm -hmm. you say Jesus Christ is not Lord, or if Mm -hmm. you draw a picture of Muhammad, or, you know. So... Say the Buddha's a fat bastard. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. You have to practice acceptance. (laughs) He he wasn't a fat bastard when he was an ascetic. Was he ever a fat bastard, though? I mean, did he ever look like that? I don't think that's the actually... See that fat Buddha is actually Siddhartha Buddha, because usually the depictions of him are slim because, yeah. uh, but there, that's actually another person that was meant to be enlightened another Buddha, the fat one Okay, was it his wee Buddha? <laughs> his big Buddha? <laughs> or was it his Buddha from another Buddha? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good 
Right, so here, <laughs> okay. here's the thing. If Milo was... Well, that's our Buddhist audience yeah. gone. <laughs> our huge Swedes. Massive Buddhist, Buddhist audience. Uh, it's just yeah. tuned out en masse. Yeah, sorry, okay. Suze. Uh, um, my... Uh, yeah, the thing is, if Milo was saying it about someone else, yeah. like, say someone else was on the show and was like, well, I was kind of touched by the priest and blah, blah, and Milo goes, oh, come on, you know, it's not that, if you minimise someone else's experience, or even went and suggested that they courted it, right? then you could start saying, well, that's abusive. But the question is, should he be able to, you know, should he actually be able to say that? And, um, you know, the consequences could be social. Yeah. There's always social, I mean, the, the social sanction and social consequences, the same things, um, without, um, well, okay, let's put it this way. He's not in jail. Right. He doesn't, isn't, 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 isn't getting banned from campus. Right. Isn't that a social sanction? Or is the argument that because most campuses accept government money, hmm. then that free speech should be Universal on campus, and that you should be able to say what you want. I don't know. What? what well, what? I mean, these protesters that got him off campus have done nothing but just play into his hands and increase the size of his audience, and proven that he's right in the yeah. fact that he um, he's he came that along to, to say people are shutting down discourse, and they've just proven that he that that social justice warriors are out to shut down discourse. So they've basically shown that there's a need for Milo's. I'm not a huge fan of him at all times. I kind of like that he rattles cages. Yeah. But the thing is, from where I'm coming from, I'm always wanting to like talk people around. I don't know how many people he talks around. Well, maybe he does. Maybe he gets people on that, that listen to him to hate on him. And then he's a gateway drug. I personally hope that he's a gateway drug to libertarianism. How um, likely is that, though? I mean... <laughs> He's not, he's, okay, let's talk about him in the context of liberty. Other than this, his fierce, um, sort of advocacy of free speech, is he that libertarian? I mean, um, like, he's a, if he's a big fan of Trump, Trump ain't all that libertarian. No. Well, that's the thing. It's really hard to get him to pin down positions. Mm. And also, uh, you know, he's hugely disingenuous at times, yeah. so it's hard to know when he's talking seriously and when well, he's well, not. Well, yeah, this is kind of what annoys me as well. He's kind of like Howard Stern in a way, like, you go, okay, dude, we know what you're against, yeah. right? We know what you're railing against. What are you actually for? You know, okay, free speech, what else? Are you just... Uh, having sex with black men. Are you saying that he's a modern Socrates that just goes down tearing down other people's philosophy? I think he's a modern Cocrates... <laughs> okay, with that insight. And, okay. okay. Yeah, well, if that, that insightful. If that note, insightful have you last got note, anything to do with Milo? Have I? What? Anything more to say about I've got Milo? nothing more to say, but I'm sure the people who are watching have got a lot more to say. So leave your comments um, and let is, us know exactly what you think about Milo. Milo. And if you can enlighten us to ignoramuses, we to ignoramai, <laughs> about. What it is, Milo actually said this time that everybody's going off the deep end about, uh, and let us know your opinions in that before we now move on. Move on. Samaroff, the gods. 
Well, didn't we have something about UBI being tried in Scotland? Universe, this is the universal basic income, yeah. which I did a astonishing talk on. That uh, it was astonishing indeed. Indeed, which you can see on this channel if you've not already. Now, you had some things to say about the UBI, and do you have the story to hand? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No is the short answer to that. Um you had the newspaper do right, well, what the, that's not what my ripping pulling my fucking flats about well, actually this is my flat we're in right. uh, yeah <laughs> feast your eyes in horror at my abode uh, so Auntie doesn't or think, apartment as you say yeah as you say in America this is my apartment my right. condominium no, it was the was middle story it was the very middle, the middle story, story. here we go we this thing. is the kind of people you're dealing with here the right. level of a stop is if we get to It might not be that one, it might be the other paper as well. This is the problem. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry, it was... The, where, what the fuck did you <laughs> do with the newspaper, dude? <laughs> it's under those books. No, it isn't. It's fucking... Oh. Right. You are a cockroach. You are a cockroach. Okay. <laughs> Just make yourselves a cup of tea or something. Uh, you know. What the... F Where's the fucking paper, dude? Stop us if we get too professional right? Yeah. Um okay. The eye newspaper and um Is it not the middle story? It better be in here. We can always No it's not <laughs> at least the first What's <laughs> it anyway? Well we're just, we're just gonna read the paper here guys um and you can listen to some music and then a musical interlude while we do this. There's, a, there's an interesting article on ayahuasca. I'm sure Mr. Oh, Mr. Let's do that one. Oh, an ayahuasca? Yeah. How did ayahuasca become the world's hottest hallucinogen? hallucinogen? The author, Daniel Pinchbeck, investigates the Amazonian potion's influence and its dark side. One of the quotes here is, In that state, I have the feeling there are an infinite number of worlds. Another quote is, it can be a valuable tool for executives seeking to enhance their effectiveness. So, do you know anybody who's done ayahuasca? Yes, uh, I know someone very close to me okay. who's done ayahuasca. And uh, how did it go? Um, well, if you're going to drink ayahuasca expecting it to solve all the problems in your life... Yeah, that um, wasn't the times, you fucking tarred baby. <laughs> <laughs> Struck by my own sword. <laughs> right. so, For those who are not in the know, I think you're still on ayahuasca. To be quite honest, yeah. he's so he's not actually even here. He's fucking two thousand fucking feet and climbing over the Andes. Okay, you probably need to be higher than that to climb over the Andes. But he's up there with the con. He is the condor at this moment in time with the fucking haunting sound of the bad the pipe the bagpipes the panpipes in his ears. So that's probably the, so anyway, ayahuasca. Yeah, so Daniel Pinchbeck, the person writing that report, the yeah. author of a, a good book on psychedelics called Breaking Open the Head. Ah, um, okay. He, I think he was an atheist uh, skeptic when he started re re researching the book, and he went and spoke to people who'd had uh, incredible experiences that couldn't actually be explained on um, materialistic grounds, okay. uh, psychic experiences and all sorts of weird shit to do with hallucinogens and um, 
the thing is, ayahuasca, there's a lot of evidence that it can be good for you. Um, it's been used to treat heroin addicts and amphetamine addicts right. with good grounds for believing that in the right circumstances, uh, uh, it will reduce their um, dependency and they're expecting good good um, benefits from okay. taking those drugs. Lots of people claim that it's improved their mental health. I wouldn't say that it's for everyone, like, especially if you've got a fearful personality type already, please okay. don't go shooting off to imbibe some potion because, you know, you might just get really paranoid and have a really scary trip for hours and hours and hours. You know, make sure it's a good uh, decision for you. Consult your physician and... Um, yeah, I think that in the right circumstances, I mean, well, we take medicines, we take psychiatric drugs. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of the psychiatric model of mental health, but, you know, you can't deny that sometimes antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications can save lives. Okay. So, you know, it's not foreign to us, the idea that chemicals can produce positive effects in the psyche. Um, okay. It just... just it should be done correctly. It should be done safe. And what's more, it has to be made legal so that the correct... Right. So currently, is this product um, prohibited? It's a real grey area in the UK. Okay. Because there's not been a trial case. And there are people saying that, you know, in the cultures that imbibe, it's a sacrament. It's taken... Uh, as a, a religious ritual. And it's communal and social. Yes. Right. So under the kind of laws that um that they 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 have on human rights and things like that you know you you've got a right to your um religious traditions yeah so if they can demonstrate that it's a sacrament in a test case then perhaps it's legal as long as it's done uh, with the with the relevant cultural practices okay the thing is whether whether kind of dodgy on the border laws we've not got that much to go on in terms of more research than i mean there is research that's been done it can produce positive benefits as long as it's done in the right setting um but there, but we but we would like to see more research so otherwise i don't know what what are your views on drugs and taking them for for um for let's say for mental health reasons, um, I've got to be honest. I just don't know. Uh, I know that we already do, um, as a society, as a as as a nation, have a health service that does prescribe uh, drugs like what? to people, like methadone. Yeah, methadone. And uh, a lot of people go out for a drink to when they've had a stressful week. You know, I'm just going to relax and have a drink. Well, I guess alcohol is yeah. that, that type of thing. But I mean, I, I'm sure. But uh, for people with psychiatric problems, there's probably um, even stronger yes. drugs that they administer. So I guess that there's a case to be made where it, it maybe it may be beneficial. I don't know. Uh, I know that prior to becoming a libertarian, I was extremely anti-drug. Uh, you know, although I mean, I I, I drank. You know? mm. But um, I would have happily, at one point in my life, taken part in, uh, you know, been part of a death squad, you right. know, wiping out drug dealers. Um, 
But as as I get to understand, I mean, I, I don't. The only thing I take is alcohol. That is my only poison. I don't really. I haven't taken any other form mm-hmm. of of a drug and hallucinated. I think I once tried hashish in a, a yogurt, right. and once I'm talking, I'm going back twenty odd years here. Somebody put some, gave me some mushroom tea, and I liked neither right. experience. And uh, I, it's just something that I've never been attracted to, mm-hmm. and I've never hung out really with people who are who are involved in it mm-hmm. in any in any way. So for me, it's a whole kind of almost new thing. But I believe in a free society, and therefore I believe that it's an individual's choice, whatever it is that they want to put in their body. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be Mars bars, you know, big yeah. greasy hamburgers, or whether it's heroin. You yeah. know, if somebody chooses to do that, um, then they can go ahead, you know, knock yourself out. What you cannot do is expect other people to be forced to pick up the pieces for you, yeah. either through taxation or anything else. Right. And, um, well, given my appearance and, you know, the, the sale of clothes that I like wearing and stuff, like, there's always a, a, often an assumption from people that I'm a cannabis user. Actually, yeah. you heard, heard it here first. I really... I can't stand smoking cannabis. Okay. Uh, it always makes me paranoid. I never get um, good feelings of it, so I kind of, you know. But Does cannabis is, make a, you paranoid? Or are you are you prone to paranoia anyway, and it enhances I think, it? I think probably prone to okay. paranoia anyway, and the um, substance will activate those neural nets that are uh, that are associated with that sensation. So, um, so but the thing is. There was something about the culture, you know, especially in Scotland where it was seen as cool to smoke a joint. And, right. you know, if anything, I would have wanted to... Well, I, especially I, if it's anti-establishment. Yeah. Right. And I, I would I would have maybe just wanted to be part of that when I was a lot younger man. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't anticipate any positive outcomes from using it. And I think I really dodged a bullet with that one because I've seen so many people, they say that it's not that harmful, but that just... I've actually got friends who claim that it ruined their life because uh, that you know they just they just didn't feel okay without eventually they didn't feel okay when they weren't stoned. But that's also true of alcohol. Okay, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that you know this is meant to be harmless. Now, For some people. Uh, now, MDMA, the the active ingredient ecstasy, before that was made illegal, that was uh, used by psychologists. Right. And various things. One was uh, in overcoming trauma because that puts you into a state where, you know, you've got the endorphins, you're feeling loved up and things like that. And you can look at those instances and process those emotions in a context of feeling good rather than, you know, take you down a dark hole you might not come back with. Mm-hmm. Another thing is in couples counselling. Uh, uh, because obviously that, that would help people not get defensive when they were trying to resolve conflicts and see it from other people's point of view. And a third way was sometimes, you know, just in old folks' homes where people were getting a bit depressed, they'd actually give them some MDMA maybe once every six months, mm-hmm. and it would actually perk them up for quite a long time. Okay. Now, obviously, that's more associated with recreational use now, and when the people started getting them at raves, the psychologists who were experimenting with that um, said they instantly they were terrified because they knew it was 
then going to be made illegal, which of course it was. Now recently, in recent years, there's been a revival of an attempt to to pra- um, to do studies on these substances mm-hmm. and see if they're good. And it's and without it's really hard because see, given fifty years or more of drug war, yeah. We have no idea what would have happened in that time if drugs hadn't been made illegal. Surely the pharmaceutical companies that were developing them would have been trying to make the drugs safer and trying to increase the positive effects while decreasing the negative effects. So all the government has done by making these drugs illegal is make them more dangerous and stop us from having the ability to figure out whether in some cases there might be a positive use for them. Yeah. And if you and and if these substances aren't available, people turn to other uh, substances in order to try and achieve the same right. effect. Uh, and a good example of that here in Scotland would be where they where they ban well, obviously uh, drugs like heroin and right. cocaine are, are illegal here, but people go and buy or have hitherto up to now. Uh, government have taken steps to stop this, but people are buying things like plant food, right. you know, with so-called uh, so-called legal highs, right. to try and get the same effect right. that they would be getting from the drug. Yeah. And these legal highs are actually, in many instances, more harmful right. than the stuff that people are trying to replace. Yeah, you know, yeah, so these solvents that people are putting up their nose, which are going to destroy their lungs, and the worst one in the states is crystal meth, which yeah. you know is one of the worst, most dangerous drugs, but because it can be made out of stuff that you can buy in, in your local 7-Eleven um, and then mixed down, it became incredibly popular. And, you know, there was, yeah. there was a Louis Theroux documentary, I can't remember what it was called, but it was on crystal meth. I mean, watching it almost made me cry at points. It was so, so, so sad, the depth of what this more dangerous street drug does. And yeah. I think... That's caused by prohibition. Plus, you know, just morally, what are you doing forcing people to spend 24 grand a year locking someone up for putting something in his body? I mean, as Ron Paul said, I'm not for, you know, the methadone clinics and um, the shooting galleries being paid for by government. But it's a less bad solution than... um, then locking people up, and as we've seen in Portugal, decriminalisation works. Um, well, it's early days yet. I mean, it's right. for Portugal, it's right. only two years ago or something that they decriminalised. Yeah, a little bit more longer. Mm, than that. But still, I mean, the, I I guess it looks as if it's, it's, it's the experiment is is going well at the moment. Yeah. I mean, also with the price of drugs coming down, charities can start up shooting galleries where people can get safe uh, needles, and when they have done trials, some heroin addicts have just stopped just plain stop taking the drug because part of it was the you know when am I going to get my fix when am I going to get the insecurity of not knowing when the fix was going to come Mm. um, made it hard to sort of just like walk away from would I be right in saying that there are in some instances functional heroin addicts in the same way that you get functional alcoholics I don't know about that now but I know certainly in history you know before these things were made illegal, there was functional opium addicts and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, certainly possible. Yeah. Um, we're not saying drugs I'm, are a good thing. We're just saying we're not prepared to throw people in jail for using them. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I would always just say, I'll never advocate taking any substances 
if you want to experiment with substances, make sure you know all about the substances that you're experimenting with and, you know, stay safe, consult a physician and um, make sure that, you know, the whoever you get these illicit substances from is well recommended and not just some dodgy guy in an alley. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, don't don't don't. Uh, I just I wouldn't advocate it. And okay. Wise words from Mister Samaroff there. But and, uh, we finally found the. We actually we actually took this out of the newspaper specifically so we would have it handy, and it was. Uh, right. But we searched everywhere else for it. But anyway, the article is called "Utopia is Coming." <laughs> oh no. See, whenever anybody tells you that there's a utopia coming, you know, stand by, because things are going to get bad. But anyway, utopia's coming with a basic income for all. Now, we've, like we say, uh, Anthony has already done uh, a quite an interesting talk on universal basic income. Um, for those of you who don't know what universal basic income is, it's practically a pension for people under 65. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, every, it means everybody will get a certain amount of money uh, so that everybody has a, a, a standard basic basic income. Right. Um, and this idea is about to be, they're talking about piloting it in Glasgow and there's other countries in the world that are talking about doing it as well. So uh, it says, a perfect world seems impossible, but a provocative new book says it with, it's within our grasp. Its author tells us giving everyone a fixed sum can end poverty, cut crime and make health care cheaper. What do we reckon? Well, the thing is, how much money do you need to get by? Well, this is the thing. Okay, I I, I get by mm -hmm. on roughly around £15,000 a year. Okay, so to get... With that, I pay my rent, feed myself, and have some money, and pay my bills and have, and have something left over, but it doesn't really allow me to have... Uh, a lot of disposable income. Right. So to give everyone in Great Britain fifteen grand a year. But I'm a single guy. Right. You would need a lot more money than the money than the government currently takes in in taxation already. Did I say single? I mean, woman free. Sorry about that. Right? Yeah, just in case yeah. there's any libertarian ladies out there. <laughs> That's not the way I meant it. But anyway, carry on. Um, <laughs> uh, you get women for free. <laughs> No, I'm woman free. In other words, I am free. Just like you, know, you don't say somebody's child, or somebody could be childless, meaning right. they want a child and they can't have one. But if you're child free, you just like you. I don't have kids. And I don't have any, you know, intention of having one. So I'm woman okay. free. Okay. Okay. You Not, don't have any intention of having women. Well, within a certain context, I don't want permanently around the house, you know, okay. like, yeah. So now you constantly know putting <laughs> my seat down. Well, whatever, yeah. you know, whether my seat's go look, go take this. My toilet seat is permanently nailed up in an upright position. Big sign on it saying, "This is a man's house." Okay, so anyway, I'm just <laughs> going to take that excerpt and use it as your video <laughs> <laughs> personnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for uh, whatever it's called, you know, Trinder or. Grinder, whatever you kids, whatever you kids do these right, days. I think grinder specifically for gays. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, with a name like grinder. Sorry, is, am I going to get the Milo? Am I going to be the controversial? You're going to be the Milo libertarian, right? Okay, Jesus. So the, here's the thing, right? It's completely not fundable. Second of all, you think that if you just give people this money, that everything's going to stay exactly the same. First thing that's going to happen is all your landlords are just going to put the rent up. Oh, 
the people staying there, everybody's got you know, an yeah. extra 15 grand yeah. a year it's ridiculous they, this is just the chess piece fallacy you think you can move the queen here and and that's the only piece that moves is the queen the eco- economy is complicated everything you do has knock on effects so all the the things in the shop shop are just going to go up in price the universal basic income is going to be worthless so they're just going to increase the universal i see two dystopias right yeah okay one is just the the economy collapses completely instantly because the gaining of money is not tied to um the labor mm. right money is just a code for the amount of goods and services in a society so if you increase the amount of money in the society without increasing the number of goods and services which by the way would go down because people might be creating stuff but they're not like creating goods and services they're just doing the rubbish poetry and their art and maybe maybe they'll go down to the community center and you know help refugees and stuff like that that's wonderful uh, but uh, um, it can be done anyway, right? So one thing is the you know, the society could just collapse, and the other thing is that everyone becomes dependent on a universal basic income, have very few skills, and basically need to do whatever the government says at all times. Otherwise, the government will just uh, threaten to not give them okay. their basic unit universal income. Yeah. That would be a great science fiction novel. I think uh, Aldous Huxley beat you to it, did he? Okay. Right, but, <laughs> so just, um, just, just slightly. But um, I mean, what about the assertion that I mean? Okay, if I, I mean, I'm not for this. I mean, the bottom line that somebody has to pay for this. Right. Okay. So you have to use force to take it from one person to give it. A, yeah. A, so that's enough for me. So I'm against it in principle. But those who are for this kind of thing will say, well, okay, look, you know, it, it, it uh. It, like the guy says, that it's going to reduce crime because people won't feel the need to go out and uh, you know steal things to the supplement stealing for them because because the government's stealing it for them. Uh, and like for right, okay, if you gave me fifteen thousand pounds a year of a basic income, mm-hmm. uh, why would I go out and work? You know, why am I, why am I going to go to work and and turn that fifteen grand when I've when I've, when oh, I've already got it? Why should you have to work? Why, why don't you have don't to? You, aren't you just entitled to living just by the fact that I mean, why should everyone have to work? Shouldn't people just be allowed to have a good life? Um, that that would be great, but things just don't work that way. Well, I mean, what? But the the point I was going to make is. I would certainly, okay, I wouldn't maybe sit around doing nothing, maybe do more of these podcasts. It's up to you to decide or not that's a good thing. I'd have more time to dedicate to the Libertarian Party. I would, uh, I maybe take up a hobby. I may take up uh, teaching in my spare time because I'm a qualified English teacher to adults. I may do that. So people go, well, that's all positive things. Mm-hmm. You'll maybe pursue things right. that you have more interest in doing right. than actually having to work for a crust. And then that leaves your job open to somebody who does want to do it. So, you know, Right. They won't be unemployed anymore. I don't know if that works, but that's the theory behind it anyway. Well, my thing is, I think that's lovely and that's a great idea, but I think in practice what it means is there's certain kinds of jobs that people just generally don't want to do, and mm. they're the ones that are being remunerated. Now, if you're... why Those people who are doing the jobs that people other people don't want to do yeah. are going to be heavily taxed yeah. for the people who are just, oh, well, I enjoy a bit of doing English, I enjoy yeah. podcasting, I enjoy advocating in the Libertarian Party for the removal of the basic income, which allows me to advocate for the Libertarian Party. Yeah, You know, 
so the thing is, the pe- there are some people who are going to do the heavy lifting, and those people who are doing the heavy lifting are the ones that are going to be taxed the most to pay for this basic income. And the other thing is, you know, I hear Sam Harris mm. uh, constantly saying in his podcast, well, you know, mechanization is going to uh, mean that there's just not enough jobs to go around. And I really wish he would just learn some economics. If if that's true, that's fucking great, because all it'll mean is that you'll have a universal basic income without a basic income. It just means that people will have to work 10 hours to get the income that they're currently getting on the reason why we work so much fewer hours, you know, the average used to be 57 hours a week and I think 1870. So the reason why we work so many fewer hours, so many fewer, <laughs> is because machines do most of the work. Yeah. And the, the, the machines push down the price of goods. So even if you're earning a lower wage, your wage can buy more stuff. I think this basic income is utopian because it just imagines that if you hand people free money there won't be secondary and tertiary consequences to that and um, there was one I, I meant to mention but it slipped my mind so you take the stage while I remember No, I mean for, for me, I mean you're much better at the economic side of things than I am for me it's just a straightforward principle, no matter how good this thing sounds, it still involves the use of force to remove um, income from one set of people mm-hmm. in order to give it um, to another. And I don't really see how it's got... Okay, one of the, the, the things that's going to happen, which I see uh, being problematic, is once you say... Okay, let's say we say yeah. that the, the basic income is going to be 15 grand. Once somebody's spent that money, uh, even for the month, they've spent yeah. all the money for the month, and they have a family, it's going to be think of the children. Right. right? You know, So the, the, the idea that... Uh, it's going to eliminate right. the need for social worker bureau- right. you know, bureaucracy and things like that. There's, there's still going to be people who are going to get that 15 grand a year and they're still going to mis- misuse it and they're still going to have to be to be helped out on top of their basic income of 15 grand a year. Uh, and in addition to that, now I've, now I've lost the plot where right. I was going with that one. Well, I'll step in because I remember what I was going to say. Some people came and gate-crashed my video with okay. comments on YouTube saying, well, if you look at the trials, um, you know, people did invest them in businesses and uh, and it was helpful because people had money to spend on those new businesses. But I think that's not really taken into account a couple of the important factors. First of all, these people knew they weren't going to get the basic income yeah. forever because it was a trial. Yeah. So they, they invested the money in a way that they might when they think, well, I need to make this pay off long term. Mm-hmm. And the second one, this is very important. Where did the money to pay for the basic income come from? Was it within that community that received it? Right. Or did some benign people come along and start paying people money to do nothing? Of course they did. You know, the experimenters raised the funds to to fund a universal basic income scheme. Yeah. Not mentioning, so it's not a realistic yeah. rebuttal. Yeah. It's not. It doesn't realistically show that the universal basic income works because that community was not subject to the same incentives that the entire society would be when you have to tax some yeah. people to pay for it. All that money that was spent giving this population a basic income was not being spent yeah. somewhere else where it would have had 
good economic growth. So I'm sorry to the person who uh, cited that study, but yeah, those those studies are absolutely worthless when it comes to showing what the real secondary consequences of instituting the taxes that would be necessary to raise the uh, universal basic yeah. income would be. Yeah, and another point I was going to make is the, the implications it has for liberty in terms of, I mean, I can't envisage a situation where the universal income could ever go down. It can only ever go up. And especially price go up. Like you say, if landlords put the prices of flats up, if the price of product goes up because everybody's got an extra fucking grand, the price of the pub goes up, the uh, price of labour goes mm-hmm. up. If all these things go up, then incrementally the, the, the basic income can only go up and up and up. And it gives... It's a vote winner. It's a vote winner. And suddenly... Governments are going to turn around to put, and you know, whoever promises to put the basic income up by the highest level is going to get into power right. or stay in power. So it can only ever, and you know, the Mrs. Thatcher quote comes back time and time again. The problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money, and the problem with basic income is you will eventually run out of other people's money. Right. Can't say fairer than that. So. If you want to help the poor, uh, you should campaign for some like libertarian policies. For example, get government out of housing, the price of rent will plummet and that will make it easier to look after the poor. Get rid of these central banks who keep printing money, lowering the value of the money. Then there's free trade to let us import products from poor countries, raise the standard of living of the poor in this country and abroad lower taxes for people on low incomes and uh, another one is the amount of money that's spent on compliance with regulations is astonishing i don't know what it is and i couldn't find a figure for the uk i know in america i think it was 1.88 trillion or maybe it was 0.88 trillion check that out um he uh, just for us to comply with eu regulations it's 36 billion now, that isn't just money being oh. poured by companies down the drain to comply with regulations. It's also them paying accountants, actuaries, lawyers, uh, bureaucrats, instead of paying people who are actually making yeah. stuff. And investing in product, investing in factories, investing in yeah. people. So there's yeah. an opportunity cost to that $36 billion, and it must be a lot higher than that too. Um, to comply with domestic yeah. regulations. But I mean, come on, Anthony. You know, you don't you don't want drugs regulated. You don't want pharmaceuticals regulated. I mean, come on. Do you want do you want people to be able to sell? Uh, you know, like the third man. You're going to be selling penicillin to people that's going to kill their kids. Right. I mean, come on. Yes, I do want those things regulated. I want them regulated by the market. People can. Um, but uh, aren't people just going to go for the cheapest product? And uh, so if you're watering down, let's say, penicillin in order to sell it to people because it's cheap, you know, they, they want to look after their kid with penicillin and they, they just buy the cheapest one and it's been watered down and it kills their kid or it gives it, you know, well, some sort of... Well, if it kills their kid, that's already punishable under lo- common law. If a product... Well, that's a bit late once it kills the kid's dead. Well, the deterrent effect would... Well, well, then it's a bit late anyway. Even with regulations, you can put out a product that kills someone. Yeah. That's so, true. Yeah. And um, they have. I mean, thalidomide's a big one, but it didn't kill people, but it, it screwed people up. So, you know? so the, the, first of all, the market regulates. Second of all, you've got consumer watchdogs. Third of all, you can put th- products on a register 
you've got um, online websites, or you can go to a third party who will okay safe products and put a little stamp saying, this is assured by so-and-so. Yeah. There's no evidence that occupational licensing, for example, uh, improves the quality of services. In fact, we could do a whole show on occupational licensing because it's something that I've been looking Perhaps we into recently. Until that time... Be a libertarian. Not a cock. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. But tomorrow on the show, I have a guest coming to you from Scotland who gave a talk, this is just one of his many virtues and merits, gave a talk not long ago about the basic income guarantee idea to a room full of left liberals who by the end of his talk were cheering. How do you do something like that? Well, I'm going to introduce you to a guy who did exactly that, and you're going to really enjoy getting to know him. That's tomorrow. 